My middle name is Strange. And with a post tagline, we could call it like a motto or a header, like they put at the top of the page, Kelly Wand. That's not a newspaper term. It's a headline. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Wand, what would the headline for the movie The Post be? Okay, picture a newspaper spinning at you. Right? Oh my gosh, it's coming right up at me, and then it stops conveniently uh not upside down or crooked and i can read it and it says right like they do uh it's like all the president's men but with one phone call kelly Wan, do you have a backup because sometimes in those montages where the newspapers come out at you they show you multiple newspapers what might some of the others say the other okay so then another one spins out after right. you notices you don't like the last edition <laughs> so then another edition comes out and it's all Best Mr. Show skit Spielberg's directed since 1941. Uh-huh. <laughs> that one works for me. I like it. Dingus, it sounded like you weren't amused. I didn't understand the wigs. All right. Well, we'll get into that, but let's first find I out, did. is there another uh, tagline for the post? Then a third edition comes out. It's like the New York Times, but with a similar font. Then a fourth edition comes out. Keep them coming. Much to Dingus's chagrin. And it's all, it's like Bridge of Spies. It ends with someone getting off a phone and going, good news, something good. The movie's almost over. Remember well, Dingus, Spies? why don't you clear, clear up for the listeners? You buried, you know, he buried the tagline. <laughs> Would it help? <laughs> what movie did we see, Dingus, that Kelly Wand is riffing on? All right. This week we saw The Post, Mm -hmm. a 2017 American political postal thriller about the fog of war. It was directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Liz Hanna and Josh Singer. Can I jump in real quick to say, do you guys know what else Josh Singer has done? Yeah. What are you are What are you excited about that Josh Singer has done? Well, no, I mean, so you know, he does these like these newspaper dramas, and he did spot the scripture spotlight. He did spotlight, yeah. yeah. Um, I just uh, wondered if he just came in to punch it up. Well, do you know what 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 his background was before that? No. He wrote on a little show called The West Wing, and I actually remember that guy because he because I had a little tiny part on West Wing a few times, and I remembered that guy being around and. Uh, just sort of standing around with him and talking to him. And uh, he once said to me, you know, you remind me of a news of a reporter from Newsweek named blah, blah, blah. And I have no idea who he was talking about or why I said that. I was actually cast as a reporter in that. I I was super flattered. Like, I don't know if I, if it's because it was some dumb schlubby looking guy. I don't know why he said that, but I thought it was kind of cool that he was talking talking to a guy who had one line saying, Hey, you remind me of a newspaper reporter. (laughs) He always had one thing to say every time I saw him too. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was completely forgettable, but you remind me of him. He was really into his video games. I glanced at the um, at the episodes that he worked on, and I didn't. Nothing jumped out at me. I didn't realize he that you had actually worked with him. That's really cool. Mainly, I'm guessing it's because you carry that pen so well. Right. Yeah, I was really good. A lot at of him. training Tom yeah. took Harvard. But I just remembered a writer named Josh, and then when I saw his credits that he worked on uh, West Wing, I was like, oh, good for him. He's he's come a long way. He's not he's not just a TV guy anymore. So he's hey. right, so, Sorry, West Dingus, Wing so, is not just a TV. How dare you? How it wasn't can hold on Dingus, to pens. It's not it, pipes. It wasn't HBO, so yeah, it was TV. Right. All right. So I'm sorry, uh, Liz uh, Hanna and Josh Singer. I just had to oh. do a little humble brag name dropping. Josh Singer, my good buddy. Who else uh, is involved in this, Dingus? Mark Singer. Uh, it stars, uh, yeah, Mark Singer. It stars Beast, uh, many other Beast Masters. Um, it stars Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks. Tracy Letts, Bob Odenkirk, they should... David Cross, Bradley Whitford, Sarah Paulson, Jesse Plemons, oh. and Sasha Spielberg. Oh, <laughs> who was that? No relation. Oh, don't tell me it was that little tiny waif selling lemonade. Nope. I'm in Bugsy Malone, see? Sasha Spielberg is listed as woman with package. <laughs> She's the one that dressed up as a hippie. Okay, cute. So she's the one who says, are you important? Right, right. That's the one that reminded the guy of Tom. <laughs> Remind me of that woman in the package. <laughs> the post is rated PG-13. Uh-oh. For. Yes. Language. Can't wait. Keep it coming. And. Brief war violence. What? They should mention smoking. Mm. Kelly Wand, what else uh, should the MPAA mention? Uh, I would advise them extreme violence and nudity and also tobacco use. Ha ha, rated X for Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if it's a period piece and he only smokes That's a couple. That's what I'm saying. He's, like, he's not chain smoking, so all right. What, uh, what if he was chain smoking, though? Um, then like they did. Well, I, I feel like. I feel like they sort of went easy on uh, how much he smoked. They do. They always do. All right. The post – shoot. forgot to look at it. It is at 83 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes, Lobby. it is at 9%. Oh, no. That's the postman. 9%. Wow. Wow. It's at 88%. The postman starring Kevin Costner is at 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ha ha. Postman. The postman is 9%. The, yeah, it is. The Post, however, is 88% positive reviews. Uh, it had a very limited theatrical release, so I'm guessing it didn't make a lot of money. Uh, it's not that kind of movie. So, yeah, Steven Spielberg, art house. Uh, Kelly Wong, that means it's time for you to give us a synopsis of The Post. Really? Do I have to? I'm looking forward to it. That's your first mistake. It opened it with half a million dollars. So, yeah, big money, Kelly Wan, big money. Extra, extra. It's, oh, you know, fair enough. It's when it opened wide, that was its limited release. Uh, it opened at number two with uh, basically $20 million, but it came in second place to Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji <laughs> is killing. Even China, China hates Star Wars and loves Jumanji. Of course, yeah. Wait, which one? The new one? Yeah, yeah. No, the new Jumanji's doing great. Yeah. What did okay, China good. think of the old Jumanji? 
No one liked it. I doubt they got that. That's, uh, yeah. What would they think of the post? <laughs> Chinese movie take, always exciting. It says, my fortune cookie. The post uh, okay. office. <laughs> thing is, I used to use chopsticks to tweeze that joke out of my brain. <laughs> There's a chopsticks joke in this movie. I'm going to do another joke. Just like this, half an hour later, and you're going to be hungry again for it. So, okay, here we go. The postopsis. <laughs> the only things I remember characters saying during the post. <laughs> hey, Gary, come over here for a second. Doug here says the Vietnam War is going awesome, but me and MacArthur say it's lame. What do you think? You're a pinko. Uh, it's the same as itself. See, Doug? Just like I was saying. Pay up. Thank you, Gary. That'll be all. <laughs> ha ha, someone left the door to this top secret file room in this filing cabinet unlocked. Richard Nixon will definitely be the stupidest president the United States will ever have. <laughs> People in 2018 sure will be stunned by how stupid we were back in the 60s here. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> in their futuristic political utopia. 2018. Let's see here. Uh, secret files. Mm, UFOs are bullshit. Uh, who killed Kennedy? Yada, yada. Ah, here we go. Lies told to the public to justify the Vietnam War years 1 through 30. Please do not steal or publish. Cha-ching! Well, Tom, I really think we should have more articles about teacups for our female readers. Also, I was thinking we could put the Daily Horoscope on the front page where the masthead is. <laughs> Damn it, Meryl. Get your finger out of my eye. <laughs> you were the one who wanted to have breakfast with me every day. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, bruds. Wow. And in non-TV news... Today, the New York Times published a 47,000-page top-secret report by Bruce Greenwood covering 30 years of presidents telling us the Vietnam War is, quote, awesome, end quote. In a historic precedent, President, the other kind, Nixon, has now forbidden the New York Times to legally publish stuff that makes him or America look dumb. Damn it, people. We should be the ones dumbing forbidden Greenwoods. Pfft. Look at this Us Weekly crap we're shilling out there. Nixon's daughter's wedding to her pet frog to be catered by Velvet Turtle or vice versa. Who cares about that? And why is it in the sports section? Now, do you people want to be making the news or reporting it? Ah, you. Okay, Meryl, one more time from the top. Nice and slow. Easy does it. No more farting. Go. <laughs> Gentlemen, we are here to offer Washington Post stock at 23 cents a share because profitability and quality share the last four letters. Thank you all. <laughs> Was she perfect. the last Jedi? <laughs> Which character? Yoda? <laughs> perfect, Meryl. It's great. Now let's try without the humming or disrobing. Hey, Mr. Odenkirk, I'm Sasha Spielberg. Woo! La, 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 la. <laughs> really loved you in the commuter last week. 
Hi, I'm a mystery woman. Like a chick deep throat? Here, I'll just leave this on your desk. Bye. What the Vietnam stuff? Hanks, look. Not now I'm at a meeting about these cigars. My nose for the truth tells me you have nothing interesting. <laughs> well, fine, I'll just come in your office by this door. That's my own. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the Vietnam stuff again I just told you about. Holy shit, who gave you this? Some girl just left it on my desk. Uh, perfect verified source. Come on, everyone, to my Georgetown apartment. The Bridge of Spies guys all. Would it help? <laughs> Oscars. The reporters decide the fastest way to organize the Vietnam file material is 52 pickup. So they spray all the pages all over Hanks's house, pick up the top sheets of the nearest stack, and start shouting at each other. Okay, uh, I got the Vietnam War is. Who's got page 4002? <laughs> <laughs> Spenceful. Everybody ignores him. A girl stands up excitedly and goes, McNamara had a roast beef sandwich at Sambo's on May 3rd when he was 12 with Splenda. I got a partial. Guy waves his stack goes, Hanks, I found some porn you were writing. Who's got page 6,900? Meanwhile, at the 19th Annual Rich People's Convention, Merrill stands with a microphone before some cocktail tuxedo, tuxedo enthusiasts and goes, And then the farmer says, How come that pig has a wooden leg? I hate you so much. I hate you so much. <laughs> Dingus, you said we wanted to have breakfast. <laughs> hey, it's Benicio from episode eight. Oh. And now it's Michael Rooker from Guardians. What do you see in the post? Meryl's maid's all. Meryl! Don't call for you. Get out of here! <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of in the middle of a eulogy here, Martha. So the farmer says. Cut that shit. No one cares. It's Zach Woods' friend, Randy. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, I'll be back in just a moment. Hello. Meryl, here's the deal. Okay, so Hank says, I say we run the story. They say, no, we don't run the story. What do you say? The guy from the plane scene leans over to Meryl and whispers, tell him you think it's the same. That's what I think. <laughs> totally fuck with him. Oh, what do I do? <laughs> what am I going to say? No one's going to know what I'm going to say. Ooh. Let's um. Oh, by the way, Merrill, there's a good chance we'll go to prison. But the necessity of a free press is something even rednecks of our era understand. Oh, 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 prison. <laughs> la 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 la. Dingus, it's me, Merrill. <laughs> Failing back, please, right now. Genius, I'm white. Yeah, see. Not racist, is it? Oh, Tom, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. 
<laughs> Me too. Hanks hanks up the phone and smirks at Zach Woods and some lawyers. Then he goes into the disorganized paper room and goes, Merrill says we publish, I think. He picks up the phone, calls some basement employees and goes, yeah, that machine down there that makes newspapers, turn the off switch to on. The guy hangs up on him, looks at his buddy, goes, run it. The next day, Street picks up the newspaper, looks at the front page, reads the headline, then turns to Hanks and goes, oh, when I said let's go repeatedly, I meant let's go and leave the news business and not this, you hit it. Wait, now she's Miss Piggy? What's going on? Kermit! This is unbelievable. Yoda. I can't believe this is happening right now. I was Yoda too. <laughs> I love martial arts, the force. What's the difference? <laughs> Jesus. 31 scoundrels, dingus. <laughs> what about Bob? <laughs> uh. Yeah, so the joke is Meryl said, let's go, and she meant don't print it, just so it can acquaint you with the opposite. <laughs> Tom Hanks is like, ah, broads. The next day, a woman stands up in the newsroom and goes, everybody quit doing work-related stuff immediately. The Supreme Court has reached a decision. One guy's all, what is it? Uh, I don't know. I guess they're about to announce it, and I somehow know that. Just be all ready, because I might say it in a minute when they actually announce it. But they not made a decision, so I'm telling you that now. So, yeah. Uh, well, couldn't you just told us what the decision was, like, in a couple minutes? Because now we're just standing around, plus you have to interrupt all this again in a couple minutes when they do announce it. So it's like two interruptions. Said so you could have just gone, hey, they, and then, you know, said it. The girl picks up the phone and calls Meryl. Meryl, they reached a decision. Wait, should you be at court? You're the defendant. You should be the one calling me. I don't get the scene. Steven, Meryl hangs up the phone and calls Hanks. He's all, ah. <laughs> Guess who this is, Dingus? Tom, Tom. Wait, shouldn't you be at the paper right now? I think it's midday. Eh. The court's reached a decision. <laughs> Great, what is it? Uh, I'll call you back. <laughs> Meryl calls back the first girl. Goes, uh, yeah, what's the decision? Tom. The girl smiles and holds up the phone to the nearest closed window, through which, in the extreme distance, the arbitrarily shaped Supreme Court building just sits there and does nothing. Shape-wise, I'd have gone with a powdered wig if I was designing that building. A crowd of hippie extras camped on the court steps, holding up banners that say, Journalism's cool, and we want to read more classified war statistics. As well as all the cops in the riot gear beating them with batons, all instantly hush excitedly. The mayor of the hippies is all, what's it say, Gary? The supreme leader of judges is all, for unspecified reasons, we have decided that, actually, hang on, I forgot to find out. What? Hang on, hang on. 
He goes back to their eight judges, and they confirm confused whispers. Then he comes back and goes, okay, uh, we decided to call and tell that one girl at the post, and then she can just tell the rest to you. So this movie is really her story. <laughs> Bye. Be right back. Got to call. Later, all her colleagues sigh and watch impatiently. The girl at the post softly puts down the phone receiver, tries to make a poker face, then looks at the gathered reporters and goes, they voted 63 in favor of only the New York Times going to prison. Everybody cheers and throws what they've been working on into the air and their typewriters out the windows and they start dancing and drinking and having sex. Yeah! <laughs> Courts. In her house, Meryl's all, oh, hello, hello, real character. Why don't you just hang up on me? Hmm. In the restroom, Hanks hangs up his phone, flushes, smiles wisely at us. There's a cut to Nixon in the White House going, fuck, no more Washington Post reporters in the White House, damn. <laughs> Played by Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's got to be one or the other voice, Dingus. I don't have that many. Agnew's all, yeah, sir, I don't think any of the White House... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fuck, no more Washington Post reporters in the White House, Dan. Jesus. Sir, I don't think any of them are running for president. Also, uh, it was the six judges on the court who jacked us. Shouldn't we banish them? But Nixon's inconsolable. While he fumes and says more stuff, a security guard walks through a dark hallway, opens a door, sniffs the air, then picks up the phone and goes, Hello, real police? I think the Watergate burglary is happening. It's like the ending of Munich a little. It's like exterior shot of a building. Yeah. You see that part? It's the only part I remember, except the fucking... It's probably my job to go check this out, but meh. Nah. A spinning newspaper headlines all, I'm declared savior of city. The end. <laughs> Couldn't remember all right, anything. Dingus, get on in here. It sounded like you were chafing a little bit at Kelly Wan's dismissive portrayal of Meryl Streep. Dingus, we know how you we are- talked we know you're a huge Meryl Streep fan. Uh, what did you think of this movie? What's a movie that's uh, better than uh, The Post and a movie not quite as good as The Post? Oh, is that who he was doing? Oh, he was doing Meryl Streep that whole time. <laughs> oh, okay. I had no idea. I had no clue. <laughs> I wasn't in the Robert Redford one. <laughs> right, so under this, I would put The Light Between Oceans. <laughs> what? Are you big? Uh, yeah, uh, because um, one of the things I really like about the character sounds like this, Dingus. The yeah, baby. It's a baby. All right. Can't wait till the Tomb Raider movie when we get more oh, Alicia Vikander from Taiwan. Yeah, where am I? I rappled up this cliff, Tom. Where are my two <laughs> handguns? No guns anymore. <laughs> All right, so my father's still um, John Boyd. One of the things I really I, – and I really did like this movie a lot, actually. Um, one of the things I liked about it is uh, uh, the um, uh, the reason I chose Light Between Oceans, and, this, and Light Between Oceans is way below this. But one of the things I talked about when we talked about Light Between Oceans is how much I wished that that movie had dealt with more of the nuts and bolts of what he had to deal with and uh, do in running a lighthouse. And one of the things I really liked about this movie is the way that Steven Spielberg kind of shows the way a newspaper runs at the end. You know, the the typesetting, the pouring of the 
whatever metal that is into into those and then actually having to set all of those little uh letters in place and and setting everything together because we don't think about newspapers in the same way anymore and i think of this very much as uh you know not just as a prequel to all the president's men in sort of spirit if not in uh actual ability to make a movie um is the the way that we get news now as opposed to the way that we used to get news and the way that it this movie does show this love of newspapers and i really loved uh the parts of this movie that showed even though you know it's a little bit cliche to show like all of the newspapers like going up those clips and going out them and on all of those things and some of the things that he does are too much but i liked i liked a lot of that that this is the nuts and bolts of how this thing would be made. Like I'm, we're putting, we're typesetting these things and all of these things are being put together. And there's these guys who are sitting at the table or sitting at desks and making these things happen. Uh, and the, that was, the, those were things that I wished we would have seen more in life between oceans, because I really like the idea of this guy having to run a lighthouse. Uh, and I don't think we got enough of that because it was just a goofy movie. Um, over this, I would put, uh, the movie The Fog of War. Um, not a movie. I know you would say that, but I have. <laughs> I mean, I love it, Dingus, but it's not a movie. Um, there's this really great sequence in the movie, but there, there's a lot of 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 similar things that it, to what I'm talking about here. But like, there's there's this thing about punch cards and how the punch cards work, and but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that that same feel, but more for the reason of of just of the way uh, of McNamara talking about uh, his lessons that he's learned or that he's trying to pass on. And I love, I just, I really, I recently watched this really, really good movie because uh, I heard Errol Morris um, interviewed on this uh, podcast called Bullseye. Uh, and I, and because of that, I watched one of his first movies, which is called Vernon, Florida which is a pretty short documentary, but it's basically just a bunch of residents in this small podunk little town in Vernon, Florida, just talking. And I really love the way Errol Morris uh, puts those kinds of things together and the way he sits off camera and just lets somebody talk. And then every now and then he'll just sort of say something to them. And the way he says things to uh, Robert McNamara, as opposed to the way Rock, Robert McNamara is shown in this movie, um, not opposed, but as, I don't know, kind of a different side to the, the guy. Uh, but I really love Fog of War. I know you don't think of it as a movie, Tom. Uh, but documentaries the, are documentaries. Movies documentaries are documentaries. Are documentaries movies right. are movies, yes. But, uh, but I really love seeing this and then watching and then watching Fog of War as well. And getting a sense of those sides of the of the guy, and and what a weird dude he was. I mean, he's kind of a weird guy, and he's really important to this movie in a lot of different ways. Um, so anyway, those are the two movies. But I I did really actually like this movie. I was surprised. I was kind of dreading seeing it, but I was surprised that I really did like it. Bruce Greenwood certainly had the hair going. He had that Robert yeah. McNamara plastered down hair thing. Yeah. 
it Kelly is Wan, weird watching Fog of War and seeing the different and seeing Robert McNamara as the old man and then seeing the old footage of him in black and white and trying to reconcile those in your brain and then seeing Bruce Greenwood in this and you're right about the hair. Yeah. I, I can imagine people who don't know what Robert McNamara looks like might be thinking, why are they making him have his hair like that? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Kelly Wand, what's a movie that's slightly better than the post in a movie that's not quite as good as the post. And what did you think of it? Um, my overs all the president's men because it was more suspenseful and interesting, and it was kind of more about reporting. Although honorable mention to Capricorn one, Tom, because that's because uh, my over under theme was reporters standing firm in the face of threats. But then Capricorn won, so that would make that the over. But then my under is the paper, that thing with Michael Keaton and uh, Glenn Close, where they like get in a fist fight, I think, over the printing press at the end. Glenn who? Close? Closed. What does she clothes. wear? Oh, she wears clothes. All right. <laughs> Glenn Clothes. But I could have used more nuts and bolts uh, for this movie. I think that's what was missing for me. Mm-hmm. Um more typesetting and more sense of what was going on and more work talk, just work talk. Uh, and uh, But I liked it okay, I guess. Um, it seemed to go by fast. Like, it would just seem like not a lot happens in it, and then it's over. Spielberg like, knows how to keep things moving. Yeah. 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 Um, I liked it more than Bridge of Spies, although there was no character like the Would It Help guy that was as good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that man, that actor has a name, Kelly Wand, and it's Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. But uh, yeah, I know who Ben Bradley is, and I know he was like, a, like it, the fact it's one of those movies where it just covers like a couple days in their lives, so it has to make those days really interesting. But I thought maybe these this wouldn't have been the most interesting thing about those characters, maybe. Um, so I, like, uh, I my over and under are. So I, I'm on record as saying I don't care about source material, but I'm, I'm realizing more and more as we see movies that are making uh, political statements that I think are trying to comment on the situation we're in today. Uh, I realize that this whole idea that source material doesn't matter, that I'm not sure I feel when a movie is based on things that really happened. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to make Constantine and cast Keanu Reeves instead of a blonde Englishman, I could not care less. But if somebody wants to tell a story about the importance of the freedom of the press and a presidential administration bullying the press, uh, then the source material does matter to me because I'm a little puzzled about why I am watching the things that Spielberg and Liz Hanna and Josh Singer, the scriptwriters, are showing me. And I expected – like I, I don't know a lot about the, the Pentagon Papers and I don't know a lot about – this this situation between the, the press and the courts. So I was expecting at some point the post to do something to justify that the movie is about them and that it's named after them. Right. But this is a movie they were just following up on mm-hmm. Daniel Ellsberg and then the New York Times. You know, why was I not watching a movie the about the New York Times? Uh, you know, and and I thought maybe there was going to be something that happened in their decision, but but even and again, I kind of fault the script for this. Uh, the cast is excellent. I loved watching Meryl Streep, and there are some fantastic moments. But the, the crux of the story, 
I'm not sure that I understand or think she made the right decision um, because they made the call to ig- ignore the legal ramifications of this. But in the context of the movie, it felt a, a little bit reckless, uh, a little bit feckless even, like Catherine Graham you know, the movie portrayed her as uncertain and, and conflicted, and she decided to go ahead and run with this, even though she was advised that it might destroy the paper, which, okay, if, if you feel strongly enough about the subject matter, that might make sense. But what they were running with, what the Pentagon Papers were, and the movie explains this, it was a historical survey of Vietnam. And it wasn't something – there was no there, – there wouldn't have been any great danger in waiting for legal to either clear it or even waiting for the case of the New York Times to come before the Supreme Court, just like everybody knew it would. You know, it, in two weeks after the New York Times was told by the administration, uh, after that injunction was issued, it only took a couple of weeks for the Supreme Court to overthrow it. Um, so this whole idea that, that Catherine Graham and Ben Bradley were so keen to rush this to press, I didn't really understand. And reading between the lines, I wonder, were they keen to do it to get a leg up over the competition? Uh, Or was it really altruistic reasons? And the movie obviously wants us to think it's for altruistic reasons. Um, And I think the twist was, and again, I'm also a little skeptical about this, that when the Post went ahead and published this stuff in the the face of uh, being persecuted and maybe even prosecuted – the movie implies that other newspapers right. followed suit because the Post made a decision. Now, I don't for the Times, none of them. Now, I don't know if that's the case or if these other newspapers had their own internal debates and simultaneously decided to publish. But the movie was selling it as if they published because the Post published, and I don't think that was the case. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Uh, so I, I'm just a little skeptical of this this representation of. This decision, and it feels like it's literally well, not it feels like it's burying the lead, which is namely about this Ellsberg character uh, and the New York Times decision. Like it felt odd to me that that stuff was sidelined to showcase in this movie what I kind of felt was a reckless decision. So for that basis, on that basis, I, I wasn't super crazy about this. Uh, I don't understand why I was watching it. I don't understand why it was made. Uh, so my over will be Snowden, which I understood. Whatever issues I have with Snowden, I know why Oliver Stone wanted to tell that story, and I think it's a hugely relevant story. Uh, Snowden uh, – yeah, so I, I prefer Snowden over this for that reason. And under this, I don't know, Newsies, because I, w- I was not into this at all uh, for that reason. Newsies. Newsies. It's about the newspaper business, Dingus. Watch it. Christian Bale's in it, I think. Bale movie? Yeah, it's a musical. Yeah. Um, but the fact that all the other papers the lead, buried the lead, because Ben, I think I know why it was made. Because Ben Bradley was a very legendary figure in the boy. Did it was I confused too? Because I was thinking, wait a minute, I thought Ben Bradley was at the Globe in Spotlight, uh, which he was. But that was I didn't realize this until I looked it up. He's the President's Men guy. No, he's also in Spotlight as the editor. John Slattery plays him. But it's Ben Bradley Jr. It's his son, which I didn't realize that there were that many Ben Bradley. Executive editor of the Washington Post. I mean, his his most important work was at the Washington Post. He moved on to other things, but Ben Bradley's, you know, the Jason Jason Robards character in All the President's Men. And And my confusion was I remembered John Slattery playing him in Spotlight. Yeah, right. But that's Uh, well, he's in in the shadow. Yeah. Well, that's his son. His son was the editor at the Boston Globe. 
for Spotlight, and so I didn't realize. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Someone played by Jason Robards isn't going to be played by John Slattery, you know, 40 years later. <laughs> uh, and you're right. There is very much a competition. Uh, there is a competition aspect of this, even in All Presidents Men, because uh, I think it might be Martin Balsam, but I'm not sure, um, even just having watched it, uh, who's handing over the story that uh, Woodstein, <laughs> Woodward and Bernstein, have turned in. They, the first time that you see uh, Ben Bradley, he's handing it over to him and, say, and saying, this is a real news story, and the Times doesn't even have it. So there is very much a sense of we're in a we're in a race with this right. other paper that that and and you see that sort of loving thing that uh, Spielberg is doing here where you know you see the you see the, the those those light bulbs you see the way the New York Times looks you you see it you see this sort of loving like oh my gosh this is the way it looks and the the post is sort of the we're trying to come up. And be that same thing. So you're right about that competition thing. Uh, but I don't think that that's what this movie is about. I think it's more, much more about uh, about feminism than it is about well, that's the competition the cynical, between newspapers. Yeah, the cynical side of me, Dingus, thinks that uh, Liz Hanna and Josh Singer came up with this because they were casting about for a strong female character in the context of this story. And there wasn't one at the New York Times. And, and I like the point a lot right. that the movie made about what it was like for Catherine Graham in a world that was full of old white men. Like, I loved that, that meeting that she was in. And I loved Meryl Streep's performance in mm -hmm. terms of the uncertainty and her reluctance to stand up to Tom Hanks saying, hey, don't poke me in the eye. She did an amazing job with that. Uh, and I loved that element of the story. But the cynical side of me is like, well, if that's what they're doing, don't pretend they're making some story about how noble the Washington Post was during this situation and how they were somehow exceptional. Um, well, there, but it's it's talking about how the decisions that she has to make, uh, you know, in coming into her own, make the Washington Post into what it is. I mean, you know, Bed Bradley is a is a huge towering figure there, but Kay Graham is certainly. This story is more her story, mm -hmm. whereas the all the president's men thing, and that's why there's such a difference, I think, between the way Jason Robards plays the character or the way he embodies the character because of his charisma. And, and it, 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 there's a difference between the way Jason Robards does it and the way Tom Hanks does it. it it's basically the, the difference between how the two actors come across. But I think it's more about Kay Graham you know, walking up those steps with women all around her and walking down those steps with women all around her and then going into rooms with men and being the only woman there or that dinner party where it's like, well, ladies, we have our cue. Let's all leave the room. Uh, and her having to try to straddle those two worlds of of being this this woman who whose father uh, bequeathed her business to his son-in-law rather than to her and she was fine with that until she finally comes to this point in this movie where she's like no this is my business and this is the decision i am making and this is what i believe in even when tracy lets his character when fritz is like oh i'm going to straddle the fence a little bit more um she's making a decision and i think that that's what this movie is more about than it is about the competition 
Oh, I don't think it's about the competition at all. I mean, I don't. I don't. I think that's something that it wants to ignore, that it wants to bury. And, and oh, okay, uh, I see. I see. All right. Yeah, I mean, I clearly think. I mean, his, his whole thing about Meryl Streep being a, a woman in a old white man's world. Uh, and as much as I loved it, there's nothing subtle about it. When she comes out of the Supreme right. Court building, and and the men are over there talking to the press, and she goes off to the left. I mean, the way Spielberg has her pass a cast of women and there's a black woman there. And I mean, it's, it's as unsubtle as the end of Munich, although I'm sympathetic to the point and I'm glad he, he was making it. Uh, but I, I think the movie, and I, I, I'm open to being told otherwise, but I think the movie more thinks it's about the freedom and obligation of the press than, than feminism in particular, or than just her story. Mm. I almost would have rather, Dingus, that it had been just about Catherine Graham and that we didn't right. have any of that Ben Bradley or that thriller stuff about Pentagon Papers in there. Um, but I think the movie thinks that it's more about freedom of the press with a, a side of feminism. Um, I think it's that, and it's supposed to remind us, hey, remember when the when newspapers told you dark things about the presidency and you were grateful for it instead of just turning on them and going, you're treasonous, boo, fuck you, which is basically what a third of the country's doing now, like fake news, all that shit. Like that wasn't even the case then. Mm -hmm. But also as just as a story, I don't like this tread of all these of, of a bunch of civilians going, yeah, let's help the hero. Like whether I like that either happened or it didn't, but it happened in the commuter too, and I'm getting a little sick of it because it really undercuts the. Uh, Wait, what was it here? What was what the mean, analog yeah. here? All the other newspapers going, yeah, let's back the post. But oh, oh. Nobody backed the Times when they got screwed first. It's I like think that's just a Spielberg flourish where he's like dropping the papers on the coffee table. I think that's just a. Flourish. Well, it really did because I. It really, it, was, it really did need some kind of like payoff moment, and it felt like that was supposed to be it. Uh, More off-screen things that are relevant. Yeah. But, but like that was was a cool reveal that all these other newspapers were standing with the Post. When again, I, I wondered, well, didn't these other newspapers have their own internal debates, and didn't some of them arrive at the conclusion to publish regardless of what the Post did? Like, Dingus, you call it a Spielberg flourish, and I completely agree. But it, rather than make me think, hey, that's cool that they all stood together and the press is, is, was in solidarity, because I think that's what Spielberg wanted, uh, yeah. I found myself wondering, well, Wait a minute. <laughs> weren't some of them going to do that anyway? Uh, and aren't they just doing what the Post did? So shouldn't the movie? Right, do right, right. Exactly. Journalism the movie could have, in general. Yeah, the movie could have just as easily been about the Philadelphia Inquirer or, or whoever. Uh, right, right. It didn't feel real. Like it didn't feel like what really happened. Um, so if it did, I'll be chastened, I guess. But it felt like you guys said, like a Spielberg flourish and. Would that have made a difference? Well, then let's talk about its perspective on the press. And because right, yeah. right now, this whole idea yeah. of, of press solidarity, uh, I don't know if it was a fiction back then, but it's something that is particularly relevant Free today. Fox News. Um, do you guys agree with me? Like, what uh, th this went into production in, I think, May. Like, like, Trump had been in office for several months when this went into production, uh, and Spielberg decided to, to go ahead and do this. Uh, I think this movie wants to have something to say about the current situation. Yeah, I'm sure of it. I think he said that. Mm -hmm. So what what is it that is said, and is it uh, helpful or relevant or, or well said? What do you guys feel about that? Well, from my perspective, I think it's I think it's trying to do a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One of those things is is trying to show us a time when when newspapers 
meant something, when the actual physical thing meant something, when you could have like newspapers draped over your couch or when you would fold them in a certain way to try to read them on the subway or when everybody would stop what they were doing in an office or run out, let's get the first newspaper that we can get. Because I remember reading newspapers. I remember that. I, I mean, I straddled those two things, you know, that that time when we actually read newspapers and I would and I would I kept the the newspaper that showed the the shuttle exploding. I, I, I kept that front page. I kept those newspapers. I remember reading newspapers and I asked my son this evening, do you remember reading a newspaper? And he goes, yeah, I, I think I read one with my grandfather and his grandfather died a few years ago. But his grandfather would sit there and like read a newspaper with him. But that's not an experience he has. That's not how he consumes news now. News isn't isn't given that way anymore. And I think that what this movie is doing is not is is showing us a love of yeah. this is the physical nature of what the news was then. And also, I mean, and there is something in all the president's men that's very much like this sort of fake news idea of. Well, they've just decided they're they're going with the other side, so we're just not going to believe what they say. That's what the press secretary for Nixon says in all the president's men, where they've just decided they're going with the, you know li- the liberal media, liberal media, liberal media, and this and this kind of transitions over to where we are now, which is what is news now? What is it? I mean, it's not a physical thing that you can hold in your hand anymore. It's much more mercurial. It's it changes every time you click refresh on your browser. That's, you you know, my son gets news, you know, on a browser. And that's a different thing than having a paper that is set, you know, It, it, it and that's for good and for bad. And I think that this movie is trying to do those two things. I don't. There's a definite textured fondness, and this part is very well done, I agree, for the physicality of newspapers, Dingus, and also the the way that it creates – and televised news did the same thing – the way that it creates a kind of a pulse or a a pace throughout the day. You know, when is the broadcast in the evening? What time does the morning paper come out? Like those were marks in time, and in a 24-hour news cycle, all of that is gone, and I think Spielberg very successfully recalls a nostalgia for – that right. kind of pace and that kind of physical texture of an actual newspaper. I agree with that. But the whole idea of a press, um, I, I think that's where he really wants to make a point. Uh, mm. I think that's what the, the movie's main agenda and knowing – well, I, I think that's what uh, they really want to get at is this idea of what does the press do when it is faced with – uh, things like pushback from the political establishment. What's their moral obligation to release information? Um, I think those are very important and relevant questions. Uh, and not just release information, but get it right. I mean, I, well, I, not, I like yeah, what yeah. you're saying here. Go ahead. We'll also like not release information uh, to te- to check on it, like in order to to verify it, uh, as opposed to being first. Uh, out the gate, which is one of the reasons that I feel her decision was a little bit rec- reckless. Uh, the internal counsel says, well, we should verify with the Pentagon that this is that this is legitimate material. We, we should wait. Uh, and she doesn't do that. They, they also – I don't know if anybody suggests this, but they don't want to wait for the Supreme Court to decide on the injunction against the New York Times. Um, should they have – and I, I 
not sure I know the answer to that, but it just seemed I didn't quite understand the decision because this this wasn't the sort of thing where there were uh, lives on the line. Like this wasn't like Snowden releasing information about NSA surveillance where people's privacy was being compromised, people's rights were being compromised. Uh, this was a historical survey. You know, no lives were, were going to be lost if this information w- wasn't published soon. Uh, you know, the, the government was lying to the country, but in two weeks, it would but, still have been lying to the country. Yeah, that's um, like it's not an interesting story they're revealing. Well, no, but the country was lying about lives that already had been lost, right. and those would have been forever buried because it's not just this idea of the Supreme Court. It's the idea that, wait. You want us to wait a f- – he's – I think this is Tom Hanks talking to Jesse Plemons. You want us to wait a few days so that the attorney general of Nixon can basically just bury what we've just done and it's never going to come out? Are you crazy? It's it's like you're 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 asking us to give the attorney general of this president who is vindictive and is going to bury us, he's going to bury this story of – lives that have been lost and there is going to be no accountability now so it's I think, not right it's, uh, I, I mean i understand well, what you're, you're right saying, is that's what the movie is saying. no lives in the balance but no you're, you're right that is what the movie is saying you're absolutely right the movie is saying that if they don't do this you know this information will be lost but i think that's a false dichotomy and i, I don't believe that that ever happened uh okay be- because the Pentagon Papers were passed around, you know, nobody was silencing Ellsberg at this point. I mean, he he would eventually be arrested, but and and by the way, acquitted. Uh, but but Ellsberg was still out there with the Pentagon Papers. Nobody knew what did he do with other copies of it. You know, th- this idea that they needed to go to press was sold in the movie as if we don't, we have rolled over and the government has won. But I don't uh. feel that that's an accurate portrayal of what happened. I feel that that was a dramatic. Decision. It, it was made. It was presented in the movie that way to make it seem more dramatic. Uh, you know, you're actually kind of right there because there is a line there where he's where I think uh, Ben Bradley says uh, something along the along the lines of, "If we don't do this, everybody's going to know that we had this story." And by the way, everybody already knows it. Right. 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 So right. we didn't do this because we weren't brave enough, or we didn't have big enough dicks, or whatever. You know, it's that we didn't do this thing. New York Times can't because they're under injunction. Now we get our chance to make our name. So I think you you're kind of making a, a good point there. So, you know, I don't well, know. I, I think that's what the movie makes me think about is what is the obligation of the press to release leaked information? Hmm. Uh, and I mean, actually, that that. That, that's the thing that the, ma- the movie made me think about, and and that's the thing that I think is hugely relevant. It's why I put Snowden as, as my over, even though I don't think Snowden is as as competent or tight or dramatically presented a movie. This is a very neat Spielberg. But package, you also by the way. talked about Snowden as being a traitor when we talked about when we right right right. Well, didn't you? yeah. Well, there there. That's the thing about this idea of secret information and and it being leaked. You know, and what is leaked and how is it leaked? Like Snowden is very different from from Chelsea Manning, who just got a bunch of stuff and just threw it to WikiLeaks. You know, uh, Snowden at least has the presence of mind to look for responsible people like Glenn Greenwald, for instance, and to release it there. And I think Snowden was aware of what he was releasing uh, versus Chelsea Manning, who she just threw – he, she, he at the time, she just threw out a bunch of stuff, uh, not understanding what was in it, not sure would this compromise intelligence gathering sources, uh, so I, I think there are differences in terms of 
when this information gets out, what's the motivation behind it? Because even mm. – I haven't seen that Mark Felt biopic, but Mark Felt, I think the conventional wisdom about Mark Felt being deep throat and releasing the information to Woodward and Bernstein, over the years, I think we've kind of discovered – he didn't do that out of altruism. He did it because he was pissed that Nixon uh, passed him over for the directorship of the, of the FBI. Um, so that what Mark Pelt did was hugely important to the country, but he did it for petty, vindictive reasons. Yeah. Um, that's fine. That, that is fine, Kelly Wand. I agree because that's important information that, that we got. Uh, that's not way you're going to get it. But also, too, some, and this was an unintended effect probably of this movie, but I, what I was thinking during it was I was feeling nostalgic for government cover-ups and lying where if, you, if it was discovered, people would actually give a shit. Like now – like the Trump administration just does shit out in the open and doesn't even bother to cover it up. They just go, yeah, whatever you're hearing, liberal media. And then like a third of the people go, yeah, exactly. Like at least back then during the era of the post, like if it, if it, it, everyone, it was mutually agreed on what a conspiracy was and what a lie was. And so that made me feel nostalgic, like just for even the Nixon administration. And, and this is, I think, my main objection to the movie, and it's really not fair to the movie because that's not the story they want to tell. But while this movie has me thinking about what is the moral obligation of, a, of, a, of the press to pass along information, I, I think the more relevant issue with the press today, and it, it's, it is an 800-pound gorilla in the well, – no, no, it's the elephant in the room – is press passing along – the press passing along leaked information, that is taking a back seat now because the current press is what does the government do, not with leaked information, but when the government – I mean what does the press do with leaked information? But what does the press do when the government blatantly lies in an right. authoritarian attempt to distort public perception? How does the press do that when they're being fed alternate facts with no regard for what's actually true. Right now, what's happening to the press is monstrous. And and I don't think anybody, you right. know, when Liz Hanna was doing her script, presumably before Trump was elected, I don't think anybody had any conception that this would be the issue today. Right. So, you know, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders gets up in front of a press corps that she clearly despises and she tells them bald faced lies, you know, and, and when she has a massive media empire at Fox as is a mouthpiece for this partisan agenda on behalf of a party that no longer cares what's true, is the press now like what does the press do? And is the press even too free? Like look what you know, freedom of the press is partly what lets Fox exist. You know, are people uh. exploiting? And because for what Fox is doing is taking advantage of freedom of the press, which is a beautiful thing, to exploit the sad lack of media literacy in the United States. That right. is the issue right now. And how do we counter that? Because all the noble decisions at the Washington Post – and the Washington Post right now, by the way, is a beacon of what – of what journalism should be doing. The Washington Post, as they stand now, is where every newspaper and every press person, every journalist should look to to see how they cover the Trump administration. You know, they changed their motto uh, shortly after Trump was elected to something super dark and super dire, and some people maybe thought his histrionic, but the, the Washington Post at the top of every page, it says, democracy dies in darkness. And that's right. scary. Like they yeah. know that, that people should be freaked out. Um, so I, anyway, I got sidetracked, but I, I think the, the, the point right now, it's kind of quaint, like you said, Kelly Wand, yeah. to be worrying about the government 
uh, hiding information, and should we then leak that information even if it embarrasses the government? Boy, I sure do wish that was an issue now. Yeah, uh, it's the thing. It's like, <laughs> but it's propaganda like isn't a new thing. I mean, pro- uh, we've. I mean, this isn't a new. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Well, just like the Fox News viewers are happy to get it that way. You know what I mean? Like they don't require any nudging or any like – they don't care about even the packaging. They're just like, yeah, fuck you. Like they don't even need any evidence of any kind or anything. It's just like done for them. So, propaganda is a new thing. You're absolutely right. But what is new is, as I mentioned, this idea of media literacy, uh, the idea that propaganda is so carefully engineered by – Partly by the Russians, partly by Fox News. You know, propaganda is now uh, m- uh, media-targeted information packets. Basically, P- propaganda is a precision tool that exploits the lack of media literacy in social media uh, facets of the United States. Um, and it is, you know, it's wrapped up in freedom of the press. If it, can Fox get on the air and and make up stuff and just tell blatant lies? Uh, and according to the freedom of the press, yes, they can. You know, that's part of what goes with the freedom of the press. The problem is, uh, and I'm sure there's a trenchant quote to this effect, that, but the problem is a free press is only as good as the people reading it. Uh, right. And so. But but freedom of the press does have to go both ways. I mean, you, I mean, you you have to allow for. I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I guess we have to sort of look at the difference between like one the 140 or 280 whatever characters that Donald Trump is spewing out on his silly Twitter feed mm-hmm. which is a hugely um that's their news influential <laughs> uh but when you if you're going to have freedom of the press you have to allow for something like Fox News to exist sure yeah but you're right about the fact that it's only as good as uh, or it's only as useful as – or effective as – I'm not sure how you put it – as the people who are reading it or as smart as the people who are reading it right. because uh, because people aren't reading actually. They're just listening, and so they're just listening to a bunch of people just blabbering, uh, or they're just listening to an idea of, of those people blabbering, or they're listening to 140 characters of what those people blabbered. Nobody's reading something like they would have read a newspaper or read an article or read into like the, the pages of a newspaper. So when you read something, I think you you gain a depth of understanding that you don't get when you're just reading 140 characters or when you're just hearing a couple of talking heads blabbering at you. And so and- I mean, news is different now, but w- but I don't know what the I don't know what the exchange would be, Tom, because you're. I mean, you're right. Freedom of the press does mean that Fox News gets to exist as a propaganda outlet for this sort of weird right wing craziness. But we can't we can't shut it down because we still have to have freedom of the press. Right. Well, no, the the problem is with the people who are receiving. I mean, it's 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 a problem of media literacy, of being able to read of of critical thinking. Uh, And yeah, so I, I. and this is the first time, unlike Nixon, where you have a president who's basing his policies on what Fox News is saying. Like he's watching TV all day and seeing some six-minute horseshit and then tweeting Well, it's a symbiotic it. relationship. I mean they, they feed on Nixon. each other. And to be fair, I don't consider Fox News the press, by the way. Like it is a propaganda outlet. It, it, it's a mouthpiece right. for, for the, the Republican Party and what it has become. Uh, I, the press is something like 
the Washington Post uh, or even the New York Times, which I have a huge – I think the New York Times is falling down on the job. They have been for quite some time ever yeah. since you know they were supporting the run-up to the war in Iraq and the situation with Judith Miller. Like The New York Times is guilty consistently of – uh, 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 this issue of both sidesism, where you know if they're going to run stuff about Donald Trump being vulgar and racist, well, they got to run something about Hillary Clinton's emails as well. Uh, right. So the New York Times is, I, I think, just crap these days. Um, but but that that's press, like that's legitimate press, and that's what when I watch this movie, that you know I am thinking, well, th- this movie is, is is quaint, but I'm not really sure it's relevant to the real mm. issues issues that the press is facing these days. Um, to which I don't it's have an answer. It's way worse way. now. Well, it, it, I, I like that you turn the discussion in that way because I'm because as I watched this movie, I was wondering how obvious do I want him to be? How obvious can he be for the for the readership or watch or the viewership that he's going for? So so for and Chris Markinson, who's one of our. Uh, our contributors said that this same thing about those those moments of the of the women like on the on the staircase on the steps mm-hmm. like when when Meryl Streep is walking up the steps to go to the American Stock Exchange or when she's walking down the steps coming away from the Supreme Court there's women down there and Tom you mentioned this about the diversity of the women as she's walking down there when she says we've said all we need to say and she walks down among those women after being in a room full of men um so how obvious did Chris Markinson like did, did he like that or did he think it was too much or what did he have to say? No, I think he, he liked it. He okay. he enjoyed this movie for the most part and he he liked a lot of the uh the performances in this movie as well. I mean, he certainly liked Tracy Letts. I think he was surprised at that and he liked Meryl Streep, although he might not like her as much having heard Kelly's uh, interpretation. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, he has this great—he has this great thing that he—that he—he—he he says about the, this special smile that Meryl Streep does that apparently she does in um, in Devil Wears Prada, which I haven't seen. She does this same—that that same like Meryl Streep smile that she does. Um, so anyway, I mean, he—he he likes those things. I—I I think that. Uh, he wasn't crazy about Tom Hanks' gravelly voice thing, but I have a, I have a different, I have sort of a different interpretation of that whole Ben Bradley thing. But anyway, uh, my point is that how how obvious can Steven Spielberg be in trying to make these points to whatever audience he's going to try to reach, like about. Um, about the points about news that we're trying to make, or the points about feminism that we might be thinking about. To, I mean, I was in a theater that was full of people, but you know, I'm almost 50 years old, and most of them were 10 years older than I was in this theater. So, who is he talking to? Is it just a document? Is it just a? This is what happened then. Is it? Trying to make That's a, a good point. question, Dingus. And is, is he trying to sort of sell it as a political thriller too? Like all the bits with Bob Odenkirk having to go to the payphone and uh, like is, is he trying – because this has none of that that oppressive uh, conspiracy sense uh, in the 70s for movies like All the President's Men. Right. It's more exaggerated right. in things like Parallax View where you have this 
this just paranoia, you know, the, the air is steeped in paranoia of what's going on, what's the government doing? You know, it's that post-Watergate suspicion. This doesn't have any of that, but it does look like it's trying to have some thrilling elements and, and some, uh, some sense of stakes. You know, when uh, Spielberg loves doing this and he does it because it's very effective, but when you have someone look in a box or in a bag and they get an expression on their face and they hurry to show someone else and someone else looks and gets the expression and then we, the audience, see. Like Spielberg does that a lot and that's very thrilling and very effective. Um, so I think he's trying to make it kind of a thriller and I think, of course, he's uh, – you know the script obviously wants to be about the role of a woman in this situation, and I loved that part. Uh, and I think he's also making this, as Kelly expressed it, this very quaint point about, oh, what does the press have to do when the press is facing a very different situation nowadays? So for me, it's kind of like those three things mm-hmm. is a, a thriller that seems a little forced, uh, a really, really cool look at what the life of Catherine – what the day-to-day life of Catherine Graham must have been like and a quaint point about the freedom of the press that isn't really relevant these days. So I would sort of characterize the movie as those three things. Uh, but you're right about the thriller aspect. There's nothing as scary. I mean, having watched All the President's Men again, there's there's definitely a sense of danger. And right. that's that's laid out explicitly. I mean, that's it's it's you know, it's part of this I think it was called like the conspiracy par or paranoia trilogy that that uh, is it Alan J. Pakala who did this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to say his name, but he did the Parallax yeah. View, and I can't remember the other one. Um, but there is that too. there is that sense of uh, we are in danger. But in in this particular in the post, there's look. This is all the money our daughter made from lemonade, and so well, the, the, what they do, Dingus, is they cute. have. Right, right. But uh, it, they do have the the tape, and I love the fact that uh, that Spielberg used the actual tapes for, of Nixon. But they they have you know shooting Nixon through a window as Nixon sort of sputtering and angry, like that's supposed to be that's the danger. And and I think we see Nixon now as a, a just just petty and vindictive and toothless right. and. Uh, so like that's supposed to be the stakes is looking into the windows of the White House and there's Nixon and his actual voice, uh, which I did enjoy. Like I enjoyed oh, that was his Nixon. actual voice. That, yeah, they use the actual taste, which a, is hilarious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, scared of the president. There's another quaint feeling. Right, well, looks, yeah, yeah, exactly. Scared like that the president might do something competently right. insidious. <laughs> what's he covering up as opposed to, oh, God, what's he not covering up? Right, right. Ugh, please cover that up better, Donald, please. Uh, so let's talk about the cast then. All right. right. Kelly Wand, who stood out for you? Meryl was really good. I'm just fucking around. I thought she was good. <laughs> uh, I like Tom Hanks. I liked everybody. Okay. Uh, Dingus, I know you. So you, I presume you you liked what Meryl Streep was doing. Anybody else stand out for you? Oh, and um, do, do, do you have and did you have any issues with anyone? So uh, you know, I've I've have I listened to podcasts that have talked for years and years because a lot of the writers that I've listened to and columnists that I've read worked for the Washington Post. Uh, you know, Tony Tony Kornheiser. Uh, oh. Sally Jenkins. Um, there's another. Uh, the who's the Sally who actually married uh, Ben Bradley? I can't think of her name off the top of my head because I'm stupid. Think it's um, obviously Sally Bradley. It's not Sally Bradley. Oh. Um, 
it, it will come to me. But, uh, you know, even Anne Hornaday, who's the uh, I know you're not crazy about her, but she's the uh, the chief critic for um, uh, The Washington Post. I've talked about knowing Brad, Ben Bradley and being in room, being in the room with him and the way he. Uh, the way he would command a room, the way that he was just that sort of alpha male who would walk in and everybody, men and women, would be like, God, that's a sexy dude, and we're going to listen to that guy. Uh, and for uh, for reasons that these people who actually knew the guy say, um, Jason Robards embodied that in a much more a charismatic and uh, forceful and sexual way than Tom Hanks is able to do. Tom Hanks is very competent, uh, but he doesn't have that sort of like uh, animal nature that apparently Ben Bradley had. So it's interesting to watch. It was really interesting to watch um, both these movies, to watch The Post first and then watch All the President's Men and see just the different ways that the two men would put their feet up on a desk, for instance, <laughs> or the way they would like the, hit a desk or, or the way they would talk to their reporters or the way they would command a room. Because Jason Robards just – I don't necessarily think of him as this sexy guy, but watching him after hearing these people talk about – having known Ben Bradley and how he talks. And, you know, I think that, uh, I think uh, Chris Markinson also said something about like not really being crazy about the Husky voice that Tom Hanks uses. Um, I think that there is that there is a definite sense of difference between the way that these two things happen. But this, this movie, the post is sort of does have this prequel nature to, uh, all the president's men. There's something else going on there, which is why I'm not crazy about that last <laughs> that last scene. That, it that is, is like a, it's totally it's such a, a self-aware link to all it the really president's is. men. Yeah, and yeah. it does feel like Steven Spielberg gilding the lily, and like he does he doesn't do it as badly as he does in a lot of his movies. But this or the moment where they all run out to get the newspapers and and pages are flying out because the wind is blowing. I'm like, come on, you just like the way that looked. Stop <laughs> it, you jerk. Um, I really like Sarah Paulson, but I always I basically always like her. Uh, I liked Bob Odenkirk. I thought he, I, especially having heard Kelly Wan do, you know, the Bob Odenkirk thing last week. Um, um, I'm an idiot. Why are you an idiot? idiot. Well, well, I don't disagree, but why this time? Oh, I just don't know who people are. Oh, oh. <laughs> you thought you thought Patrick <laughs> Wilson was Bob Odenkirk? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, hey, he looks good in this. I have a little bit of a problem with Bob Odenkirk being too cemented in my mind, uh, first as a sketch comedy guy, and I did not need it, uh, uh, Mr. Show. I didn't need a Bob Odenkirk, David Cross uh, reunion. <laughs> that was reunion. weird, wasn't I, it? I, yeah. liked it. I thought it was funny. I, I mean, but it, it's a, it was such a weird little nod to have – I don't know. My main problem is Bob Odenkirk is so cemented in, as, in my mind as Saul – as a, well, uh, in Better Call Saul. Uh, what's his name in that's that? It's not you. even Saul yet. Jimmy McGill. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy McGill. Right, right. No, that's totally on me. Um, so when when he was saying like his name was Bob Bagdickian or whatever, that I was like, no, you're 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 Jimmy McGill. Like, what's going? So I I don't know. It was fine, but I was a little distracted by David Cross showing up. Um, 
But he's not out of character, and he's not mugging, so you ha- that's on you too. You're right. Fair enough. It's on me, but uh, you, you know, if, if John Belushi and Bill Murray were in a movie, for instance, uh, I would be th- – actually, that's a bad example. Uh, <laughs> but, but if you know, they were in all the president's men, I would love that. If, if Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi had been <laughs> right. in the background, <laughs> okay. I, it would have just made the movie better. That just felt like stunt casting. I did not need stunt casting. It, it is, but it's such a weird place for it. It makes me like it. Like, okay, that's okay. going to be the first movie you get. That's going to be the one movie on your credits that you're both going to have. Like, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross first appear <laughs> together in the post. <laughs> like, that's funny to me. Like, that's its own joke almost. Well, and you even get like, you know, Jesse Plemons, who got started on Breaking Bad. I I love Jesse Plemons. I loved him as a disapproving lawyer. Like he was so he was so good in this. But I I also can't help but think, oh, Zach Woods, there's a lot of funny people in this. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene. Okay, this because we talked about this at one point in Jaws. There's an amazing scene where Murray Hamilton is the mayor and then Richard Dreyfuss and Roy Scheider uh, are standing in front of the vandalized billboard. And Spielberg's blocking is top notch as they're moving back and forth and the camera's just going along with them and somebody gets in front of someone else and then someone gets in someone else's face to talk and then someone gets disgusted and walks off in the background and then they're talking and the guy walks forward. It's this amazing bit of blocking in Jaws. Uh, There was a point here where Zach Woods and I guess I think it was Zach Woods and Jesse Plemons talking to Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. in front of a blue picture of some flowers (laughs) like they're at Tom Hanks' house and they were totally trying to do that blocking thing. And I was just like, uh, Stephen, you don't – no, don't even – that's – it's too forced. <laughs> you, you peaked with that kind of thing with Jaws. And he does a lot of his crosstalk stuff, which I kind of liked. I mean you know, it, it, it was really Altman. cute. I, you know, I, not – Altman, yes, but you know, Steven Spielberg did all this great domestic chaos before, which involves crosstalk and yeah. stuff. And I, I think he was doing that here. That was kind of cute. good. Nah. I mean I – There's no – like you know who Tom Hanks should have been is like Quint. Like, there should have been that kind of energy. Like, he's that kind of a reporter. Like, shocking, the whole damn thing. Like, that kind of Ben Bradley. I, I, a, a Robert Shaw, Ben Bradley would be fascinating. Yeah, I could totally see that, yeah. But I will say, uh, I love getting a glimpse of, like, Pat Healy. I love that guy. Uh, Kelly Wand, have you seen Cheap Thrills? Mm, just one. <sighs> Pat Healy is so good in that. I, I mean, know. I just, who's Pat him? Healy in this, Tom? Oh, gosh, he's just one of the reporters. Uh, he's the first guy to walk past the girl selling lemonade or to arrive in front. Oh, okay, okay. Um, he's just one of the reporters who's, a, who's holed up at Tom Hanks's house. Who's I'd the guy look, who finds the file? I like that guy. The guy who played Daniel game. Ellsberg, you mean? Yeah, Daniel Ellsberg. I don't know who that was. Like Dingus, that. do we know who that is? He was the Mark Rylance character. the guy who finds the file. Uh, well, Mar- uh, Daniel Ellsberg is the guy who who goes who worked at the Rand Corporation and who then calls Bob Bagdicki into the hotel oh, room. Oh, the guy Lee. who's yeah. in Vietnam. Right, right. The guy right. who's they use this term. Which, yeah, they use a term at one point. Someone says he quote doved. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I, I think it's turned I don't into know who that was. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you were talking know. about Michael Stuhlbarg for in, for a second there, but no, it's I don't know who that guy. He's the like guy who Ryan. really catches my eye, who I cannot look away from now because, good lord, I love this guy. And even before Lady Bird, you guys really need to see Rebecca Hall and Christine because Tracy Letts is so good in that. But when Tracy Letts is on the screen, I, I'm so in love with that guy just in this paternal way. I can't stop looking at him. And I love yeah. how he was kind of being set up to be the, the bad guy and the voice of the suits in this, but he kind of softens. Uh, I really liked his character in this. I, what I loved about him was that, that first scene, that 
for me was a broken expectation scene where she's sitting behind the desk and she's talking yes, to him. She's yes. like, let's run the numbers again. And I think that she's trying to convince him of something. And what it turns out to be is that they're practicing. Yep. And I loved that. I, and I loved that he was kind of this fence straddler guy. Well, I could see this and I could see that. And but even I guess Dingus, this. The, the payoff for that practicing scene where they're in the meeting and he turns to her because he knows this is her moment and yep. she can't do it. Yep. And he covers for her and there's not a sense of disappointment. Like he's, he's patient with her and he's rooting for her. He wants her to succeed. Uh, just that said a lot about their relationship. And, right, uh, yeah. right. He knows her notes, he sees her notes, and he, he says what she would say. But she yeah. – I mean this is kind of the obvious sort of feminist point of view of, of we've been taught to stay in the background and not say anything, and we've been looked past. And, and But he does it in a really compassionate way. Right, right. compassionate. And I yeah. love that about him. And I love that he's trying to shepherd her sort of through this situation, and but he's still – He's still trying to do the best thing for the company and and to protect himself. I mean, it's a really complex character, and and Markinson kind of says the same thing. He's like, you know, he's really surprised that oh well, Tracy Letts is here, and 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 I really I agree with you. I I can't take my eyes off that guy. I can't. I I just love the way he talks. I love his yeah, voice. Yeah. Yeah. I love the sound of his voice. I wanted. It's, I want him to just be a lecturer, and I want to listen to him for an hour talk about yep. whatever you know every yep. day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. I'm totally with you on that. Uh, Jesse Plemons, I really like, uh, especially since um, uh, somebody online told me you really have to watch Friday Night Lights. So I just, uh, I was just uh, able to borrow the first season of that, and I He's looked at that. The, I looked at the front cover of it, and I was like. Hey, I think that's Jesse Plemons there, and there he is on the front cover of oh. uh, Friday Night Lights. So I was very. Excited I did not to know that. that. I just assumed he got started in Breaking Bad, but that wow, that's all. Okay, so he's been around for a while. Good for him. Yeah, he's he's been around for a while, and and it was kind of a delight to see him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did I did like uh, Bob McNamara being presented in a sympathetic light. Like I, I thought yeah. they were going to try to make him a, 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 a the bad guy here, but Bob McNamara has. He's just come a long way in terms of redeeming himself, and I think he's uh, – I think the movie sort of acknowledged that. Uh, well, if he was right, too bad, then Errol's his friend. You're like, why is she friends with that fuckwad? Right, right. Well, I do like how he, he does sort of like plead for himself. It's like it's, it's easy for people to say that we're liars, but this is what we're trying to do. We did our best, and whether or not he actually did his best <laughs> or got a bunch of people killed is she's saying – you. You, you're responsible for us sending our kids over there. Um, that drove me still, crazy. He's, it, that drove you crazy? Well, the, this idea that she's lecturing him. Him. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the former Secretary of Defense who basically was the architect of the Vietnam War. Uh, I, I mean, because there's every, there's every evidence. Because Bob McNamara was uh, – he was super analytical and thoughtful, yeah. and this idea, yeah. too, that he contracted this study. Even the Pentagon Papers point to what kind of leader he was, and when she's accusing him of being a liar, and he just says a very – you know, he says – and this is a, there's a lot of insight in these few words. He says the decision-making process was flawed. Right. You know, he well, no, knows – he says the decision-making was – and she says flawed. Right, right, and he knows okay. that. Uh so her calling him out, I, I don't know. I just think he's he's a self-aware enough figure. He's an intellectual enough. Uh, he basically got booted uh, pr presumably 
he would have talked Johnson out of the war, but Johnson fired him. So uh, I think he knew enough about what was going on, and he knew enough about politics, uh, and he knew enough about analysis um, that just getting up there and calling him a liar and lecturing him about you know sending our children to die, it, it just felt a little facile. I understand maybe yeah, for the audience right. that scene needed to work. Um, but and, and, and overall, I, I just am glad that they didn't set him up as, as a bad guy, that they portrayed him as a sympathetic character. Right. Um, Cause I but, think but, yeah, he's yeah, so. trying to be gentle with her based on where, where she is in the world and where women are in the world. Cause I think this movie does exist in this idea of where women are and where they're able to be. And w- one of the key moments in this movie for me is, is, and this is another obvious Spielberg moment, but I did like it where the, where the one, one of the women at the dinner party says, okay, ladies, this is our cue. And they all leave the room while the men talk about business. Right. Yeah. And Kay is between those two worlds, but right. she can't, she can't alienate the women but you can't be with the men because there's that weird moment after that first meeting where they're discussing, like, what are we going to set the uh, what are we going to set the shares at, and where Bradley Whitford and everybody are the the three guys are walking in a phalanx down the hallway and she's behind them like, uh, hey, I'm here too, but okay, I'm not. Um, there's it's that's all very obvious, but I think it's a very obvious for a purpose. Yeah. But I think that part of that McNamara thing is him being gentle with her and putting up with her calling him a liar because of where women were in that time and him trying to explain, okay, well, this is what we were actually Hush. doing. <laughs> uh, but I don't think he's mansplaining. I think he's, I think he's being, I, 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 I kind of agree with you, Tom, that I like the way the movie in essence, and I like the way that he particularly portrays him as this guy who is doing his best. Here, actually, I, I want to take back my sort of uh, dismissive under uh, of, of newsies. Um, it, hearing you talk about that, Dingus, it makes me think of the way that in any other director with a less skilled writer, you would get something like Hidden Figures, which is that movie about the, the, the black women that worked at NASA and helped to, to rescue the astronauts. Uh, that movie is so anachronistic. With like mm. how sassy the black women are and mm-hmm. just how they're talking, you know, how Kevin Costner is trying to take down the, the women's bathroom. And they're just like it's totally a rabble rousing, feel good, anastro- anachronistic portrayal of what it was like to be a black woman back then. This movie refused to do that. And I loved that about it. I, I really uh. admired how it showed that that she was uncertain and in certain situations like like she wasn't just out of character and a very contemporary staunch secure confident feminist because uh, that just wasn't really an option back then she had to like you mentioned dingus navigate this world of having to go in with the women but working with the men uh socialite yeah yeah uh, the but she's also wearing like this weird muumu thing and talking oh about a sailboat oh, i mean <laughs> Which is yeah. really embarrassing and weird looking, but yeah. she's she's being the hostess. 
There, there's, well, a, there's a great also running a company. There, there's a great shot early on that that made me really have high hopes for what this movie was going to do with the period, which kind of did at times. Uh, where she picks up the phone and has to take off a big ass earring and lay it on the desk yeah, in order to talk, yeah, and just good. thinking, oh god, women had to in order to communicate had Those to like remove this piece of jewelry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> now they have to put the jewelry into here. So How much fun is the phone stuff, though? Oh, my God, where they're all getting the on the line. Yeah. Yeah. That I loved about all the president's men, too, is watching Robert Redford, like, like dial, like, yeah. <laughs> that whole phone thing. And then watching them, this is so different. This is such one of those things, like, cell phones would have totally changed this movie because well you're on my you're in my house so i'm gonna be on the other line there's the other line and she says she says to her uh i don't know her personal assistant or maid or whatever you can tell him where the other extension is and everybody gets on an extension i mean it's such a different thing remember being on extensions and having somebody like are you listening in while i'm talking we're on we're on landlines now it's such a (laughs) weird it's such a weird wonderful thing to watch them all and watch tom hanks in the kitchen like stretching that phone cord out and uh, and i'm just thinking of in a horror movie somebody's just going to run in and just snip that phone cord <laughs> i just i love that i love that period aspect of the of the landline phones and people being on different extensions i just yeah. love that weird it makes me nostalgic for when phones felt okay on your ear and now they're just like these fucking little hot slabs that aren't shaped like an earpiece Kelly Wan, they're like uh, communicators in Star Trek now. <laughs> but they were that was just speakerphone. You would just hold it out and go, All right, beam me up. Well, I'm sure you could have the communicator work where you hold it up as well. Like, yeah. But shouldn't we just have phones then where you don't have to put it to your ear? You do. You got the little thing that sits in your ear, that little Borg thing that sits in your ear where you look like you're talking to yourself. Yeah. Like Lobot. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that. <laughs> Kelly Wan, technology. It's what's cooking. What? I didn't read that. Is that a news article? <laughs> Dingus, did anyone else write in? Did we, or is Markinson the only one that we foisted off the foisted post. the post off onto? Yeah, uh, Markinson's the only one who uh, foist, uh, who we made to see it, and he and he says he he sort of feels like it's one of those movies that he likes, but. After a couple of weeks, I really won't think about it again. I can come the end of uh, 2018. It's not going to be in consideration for a a top ten spot. But that is kind of its worst sin compared to things like Good Night and Good Luck or Spotlight. Like those movies, like the mark. Like those movies really hit hard. And this is big set pieces. And the characters are more idiosyncratic. Like these characters are kind of just normal types. Because they're they're still smooth and soft here, right? Yeah. And there, there's a you know it's kind of a big hullabaloo because it's the first movie with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Although, come to think of it, I'm not sure why we should care. Like, I I, I oh, love the is? idea of Was certain actors. I think so. It's it, you know I love the idea of watching certain actors, but I'm not sure I really need certain actors to to work together. Or I I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't I did have look. a memorable scene where it's like, oh whoa, the sparks. Oh, and she said that, and then he's like, oh what. I think the breakfast scene kind of wanted to be that, Kelly Wan, but it wasn't yeah, quite yeah. – But they yeah, weren't even was, getting along. It was like a stiff, awkward conversation. Yeah. 
Then yeah, just I, later, like, oh, look, now they're friends, despite those differences in the breakfast. Uh, Pacino and De Niro finally together in the heat. Remember how awesome yeah. that scene was? <laughs> it was better than this one. <laughs> that was the thing. It was so good. You go, oh, wait, and then what's going to happen at their next meeting? And then they never meet again okay. until the shooting. But um, Well, they know. walk off together. So Yeah, I guess so. But the Good Night and Good Luck had, like, everything that was weird about newspapers to us nowadays in this was even more weird in that movie because you had like with the pencil right and it was live and you had to like just do a monologue and the way he spoke was really uh unusual too i don't know i missed that movie (laughs) that's my all right so would you rather see de niro and pacino hook up or uh hank and hook up dingus you're doing it like slash fic now all right, that's a good point. <laughs> Wait, but were you saying would we rather see De Niro and, and Pacino hook up or Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep? And Meryl Streep hook up. Oh. Well, they're, they're not hooking up. Dingus, up. are you trying yeah. to talk like a millennial? Yeah, I'm trying to talk like a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, let's do a three-by-three three next week. What should we be thinking about this week that we'll talk about uh, in next week's podcast? Instead of seeing a movie, think about the movies you've seen already – and find three continuity errors in them that are worth me misreading on the air. And how can they send those in to you, Kelly Wand? And send them in to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com by midnight uh, Pacific time of the 20. Wait, what Eight. is it? The 28th. 28th. Yeah, very good. January 28th. And we'll um, also beforehand. I think this is this has accidentally become our format, but we'll each talk about one movie that we've seen. So you'll get a little bit of a, a mini podcast before we do the three by three. Uh, and we hope you'll contribute. You know, continuity errors can be a lot of fun. Maybe it's something that you didn't notice until you'd seen a movie several times. So just let us know what continuity errors jump out at you, and we'll read those on the air. Whoa. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate all your support. We'll be announcing soon our Make Us Watch Whatever You Want oh, yeah. uh, annual really? instance of that. Uh, and join us next Jeez. week for Continuity Errors. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. Mm-hmm. Dingus, I'm not humming with my mouth. Mm-hmm. Now is the time to seize the day. Now is the time to Send out the call and join the fray. Send out the call and join the fray. Bronx will be riding if we're united. Let us seize the day. <laughs> Friends of the friend that seize the day. Friends of the friend that seize the day. Raise up the torch and light the way. Grace and Brisky is always the mother of a murdered blonde. It's Twin Peaks, Seinfeld, The Grudge. She's always like the mother of a murdered blonde, Angus. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Because I watched The Grudge, Netflix thinks I'd like Mamma Mia. My decision stands, and I'm going to bed. Oh, they did hook up. Hmm. Excuse me, are you important? <laughs> no. What? That, that ship sailed. <laughs>